We're going to continue on this morning with our letters from Jesus to the churches. And we're just going to be taking the next couple months and looking at chapters 2 and 3 in the book of Revelation. Uh, this morning we're going to deal with Smyrna. Okay, last week we looked at the Loveless Church, which is in Ephesus. There in this morning, guys, we're going to take a look at Smyrna, which was another port city. Very affluent. They had the largest theater all over Asia Minor at the time. Uh, they were very popular. Lots of stuff going on. Uh, I may talk a little more details about it in the past. So, as we continue on uh, in this, we're going to pick it up this morning in Revelation chapter 2, verse 8 together. Let's take a look here. In the angel of the church of Smyrna write, These things, says the first and the last, who was dead and came to life. I know your works, your tribulation and poverty, but you are rich. And I know the blasphemy of those who say they're Jews and are not, but are of the synagogue of Satan. Do not fear any of those things which, is a, which you're about to suffer. Indeed, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison, that you may be tested, and you will have tribulation ten days. Be faithful until death, and I will give you the crown of life. He who has an ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. He who overcomes shall not be hurt by the second death. So, we see here in verse 8, the angel. Who's that? Well, who's ever pastor the authority in the church the message went to these who were in Smyrna and we're told um, also uh, about Smyrna um, as Jesus was writing these letters to these churches we know that they're just north of Ephesus they had a lot of wealth commercial greatness very rich culture they had a lot of historical richness too which you guys can take time we're not going to go through that this morning together but it was the birthplace of Homer. Some of you guys are familiar with the Iliad and other things that he may have written. Uh, very beautiful. It was referred to, Smyrna was referred to as the glory of Asia. They had the largest theater, great stadiums, fabulous library there, uh, roads, okay. Um, a lot of zeal in the city too. And I want to get to this in a moment. But there was zeal for the worship of Caesar. And do you guys know that Rome was in power during this time? They had conquered the known world. I want to take a look at verse 9 with you guys. And I think this is where we're going to camp for a while this morning together. He says, I know your works, your tribulation, your poverty, but you are rich. I know the blasphemy of those who say they're Jews and are not, but are of the synagogue of Satan. So this was a suffering church, brothers and sisters. There was persecution going on. I want to share with you guys. Let's see if I can find it. I read this article this week. Uh, watch list. 260 million Christians experience high levels of persecution. I read this article, especially in light of what I know I was going to be teaching this morning about the persecuted church. The big question I think that we have, especially in the West, should we be persecuted? Is that something that the church should expect? Well, I read this. It says, Christians' persecution around the world or the globe reached an unprecedented level 
at the end of 2019, with over 260 million Christians facing high levels of persecution. Open doors revealed Wednesday. This came out this last Wednesday, guys. We have tens of thousands of brothers and sisters in Korea today that are incarcerated and imprisoned for their faith. We've got hundreds of thousands of brothers and sisters who have been beaten, thrown in prison, even killed for their faith in Jesus Christ. This is what's going on in the world right now. We speak of persecution, and a lot of times we don't understand. Oh, I'm persecuted. I share my faith on Facebook, and everybody has something to say against it. That's not persecution, brother and sister. This is real persecution. What we look at and we study in the life of the believers that were in Smyrna 2,000 years ago, it's still going on today. More are persecuted today than any other time in history. We enjoy a lot of great freedoms of religion here in the United States. And I'm totally getting ahead of myself. But I think we need persecution. We are so free. You know, people would be literally laying down their lives, maybe, by gathering together like we're, we're doing this morning. If they got caught, they knew. If they got caught with their Bible in hand, gathering with Christians, that they would most likely be put to death for doing it. Did any one of us have that thought coming here this morning? No way. We don't get persecution. And we fight. We want to keep our freedoms of religion here in the States. And I think it's a blessing. I think what our founding fathers did with this nation was great. I think we, even though we have rebelled, okay, we're not just post-Christian. We're totally anti-Christian in this country. Okay, things are being put through. We're not allowed to talk about Jesus any longer. Anything can go, but not Jesus. Persecution is coming, brothers and sisters, and we need to be prepared for it. I don't know how long we have, but to be truthful with you, I'm totally okay if it does. I do pray for my brothers and sisters that are fighting to keep our religious freedoms. I think that is a huge blessing. But at the same time, I look in the world, where is revival taking place? You look to the persecuted countries. Last week we spoke of Iran. Can't believe the things that they're doing. But do you guys know that? As they're persecuting Christians there, putting them to death, there's a revival going on in Iran. People are coming to Jesus Christ left and right. You look at the underground church where they're not allowed to practice Christianity in China. They have risen up recently and it's about twice as big as what they thought it was. Huge army of soldiers for Jesus Christ there in China. Millions and millions more saved than we thought there were. North Korea has tens of thousands of our brothers and sisters in prison today. They don't know what to do with all these Christians. People get, keep getting saved there, even though they know it's most certain death. Would it be good for us to have a little persecution here in America? I don't know. The church is dying here in the West. What's going on? I think we need to wake up. And God uses persecution. So we're going to consider this together this morning, the suffering church. We're told here in verse 9 that they're going to go through some tribulation, some pressure. This will happen. Poverty, they were destitute. Okay, The reason, there was Roman persecution. Some would be thrown into prison. 
So it was a state governmental thing. If you're going to worship any but Caesar, you will be thrown into jail. Explain, I want to explain the synagogue of Satan in a moment, but first of all, I want to look at what this is not. It's not a general statement about Jews and Judaism. Don't misread what it's saying here. I'm part of an end-time closed group thing on Facebook. It's around the book of Revelation. And these people are so far off. They throw so many scriptures out there. The state of Israel is Satan's work, a tool of Satan. It's just crazy, you know, totally anti I'm just like, okay, this is supposed to be a group where we're studying the book of Revelation. I know it's going to be in here. I thought it was a good group. Tons of people that are part of it and the stuff that they're spewing out of there. They throw all these scriptures out, out of context. I'm like, what are you guys doing? You know? You're guilty of what you're accusing everybody else of being guilty of. It's just ridiculous. So don't go look for that group. Pfft, waste of time. <laughs> um, but anyways, uh, there's two possibilities when we come around this thought here. And it, it's, it comes to the, the compliance uh, to Rome at that time. Uh, they were very corrupt. Uh, we saw that Paul, I mean, he was beheaded ultimately in Rome because of his faith in Christ. So coward Christians um, who had converted maybe, this is what it's speaking about, those who aren't really Jews, really believers governed by God, they're just a bunch of cowards, who knows. Um, But they say they're Jews and are not, okay? And then blasphemy or slander comes up. So lies about the church that would condemn them in the eyes of the state. So to understand this, I want to build a little bit around the idea and really the context when we consider the book of Revelation in this passage in particular, we have to understand that Caesar worship was a huge part of the Roman Empire. They had gotten to that point. Um, in many ways, the Roman Empire was a good thing okay, for the world uh, that it dominated. Pax Romana, you guys have ever heard that term before? Okay, the peace of Rome. That was a good thing. We look forward to peace. We want peace. Hey, you guys can be an empire now if that means we can finally have world peace. We'll do whatever if we can have world peace. So security, uh, infracture, trade, governmental, uniformity, accountability, they wanted those things. And there was a sense then of gratitude to Rome, to the Caesar. So what many sought from the gods they discovered in Roman rule, okay, there was Dia Roma, the goddess of Rome, the spirit of Rome. It was voluntary worship among much of the worship that was taking place during that time. So Rome needed an unifying uh, factor, okay, and it really varied because they were conquering the known world. There were people of many different belief systems, different ideas, and they were coming together, something that superseded all the allegiances, spirits, and powers of the day. What's going to bring us together? So no existing religion, God, or power could overshadow them all, but one man embodied the dominating power of the empire, the emperor, the Caesar of Rome. So in him, the spirit of Rome, it took its bodily form. Caesar worship was started as a voluntary show of gratitude to Rome. Thank you for giving us peace, taking care of us. And Caesar worship then grew. Okay, it was first tolerated by the emperors themselves. 
okay? They knew they were just men, okay? You want to make me a god? I know me, okay? But they slowly began to accept it. And as new Caesars would come, they finally grabbed a hold of it and say, hey, I am God, you know? Everyone needs to bow down and worship me. So uh, the, ulti- the ultimate unifying or uniting factor that was needed really came around this Caesar worship of the first century, okay? It became compulsory or it was law. You had to worship. Once a year, if you were a citizen, okay, you had to burn a pinch of incense upon the altar there in Rome. You would have to go there and you'd build it or you'd do it on the altar to the godhead of Caesar, okay? And you would say, Caesar is Lord. If you were a citizen, just a pinch. (laughs) Caesar is Lord. So given a certificate then, once you did it, to show then that he or she had performed this religious duty, everyone was required to do this. It was so much about religion as political loyalty. So Roman government, very tolerant about this. After you could worship what or whoever you wanted to, but you had to give your pinch <laughs> and say, Caesar is Lord. As long as you did that, okay, then there was no effect on the political loyalty. They knew that you were loyal to Rome. Refusal meant that you were politically disloyal. So it's viewed uh, with suspicion and branded as an outlaw if you would not do it. Uh, this was the condition for Uh, what many of our brothers and sisters, Christians, found themselves in that day. Because the problem is, we say Jesus is Lord, don't we? Romans 10, 9 and 10, if you confess that Jesus is Lord, that he died, was buried, and rose again, you shall be saved. Whoa, now we have a problem. You're wanting me to say Caesar's Lord, and if I don't, then I'm an outlaw because I believe Jesus is Lord. You guys see the problem? that they were finding themselves here in Smyrna. This is just a little bit of background. So where, uh, where the threat to Rome was really came back to these you know, Jews, a lot of them, Gentiles, that have been coming to faith in Christ. Okay? And that's why we're told here that they were being slandered. So nowhere is this more dangerous than in Smyrna itself. The first city in the world to erect a temple to Dia Roma was Smyrna. We can read history, 196 B.C. And then a bunch of people put in, we want to build a temple to Caesar. Guess who got the okay to build the temple? Smyrna to Tiberius Caesar. They won, so they got to build it there. So Smyrna was more um, enthusiastic than any other city when it came to Caesar worship. So you guys kind of get what our brothers and sisters had to go through there. Then in Smyrna, do you guys see why we would refer to them as the persecuted church? If you're not willing to bow the knee to give the pinch to say Caesar is Lord, you will be imprisoned here. So for a person to become a Christian in Smyrna was to take his or her life into their hands. Uh, William Barclay said this, in Smyrna, the church was a place for heroes. I like that. Don't you guys love hearing heroes of the faith? I love reading the Fox's Book of Martyrs. If you're a Christian and haven't read that book, read it. You will be challenged. Brothers and sisters who laid down their faith 
for Christ. So there was pressure, destitution, we're told. And so Jesus steps into a situation to confront and encourage his church. Did you guys catch it there in verse 9? I know. He knows what they're going through. Are you being persecuted? He knows it. So no one, uh, not only does Jesus know their current difficulties, but he knows what lies ahead of them. Don't you love that we have God's word? I tell you these things that your heart's not troubled, Jesus would say. He said that in regards to the last days. But he says here, hey, I know what's going to go on. You're going to be persecuted. So, um, not only does Jesus know their current difficulties, but he knows what's going to go on. And then in verse 10, it says, do not fear what you're about to suffer. And I believe the two greatest pains for us as human beings is fear, okay? Pain, probably pain. Uh, the fear of pain, because we know that we suffer, right? We don't want to go through that. And then it's the unknown. And he tells us here, you're about to. Well, I don't know what's going to happen. Now God's telling me I'm about to go through this. So it's the unknown, okay? If you were told you were going to lay down your life for your faith in Christ Jesus, would you be a little uneasy while well, I'm going to die? My life's going to be taken for Christ? I don't know when it's going to happen. Is it going to happen today? Or is it going to happen 50 years from now? When would be a good time to lay down my life? Oh, maybe when I'm older in life. Then I'd be willing to go out, be bold with my faith, and be persecuted and maybe put to death. I think that's a question we've got to be very honest with ourselves about. Are you willing to lay down your life for Christ? Do you look forward to that? Is that a possibility? I don't think that's even on our radar. I think for a lot of brothers and sisters in the world, they know the second they come to Christ, it's not a question of, will I be persecuted or not? Will my life change a lot if I start following Jesus? No, things are going to radically change. You will be persecuted and you might die for your faith. That's a very real reality for a lot of Christians in the world today. So... Um, Jesus confronts these head-on. I love that. Aren't you guys glad that Jesus is being up front here? And he's very real about the evil that's in the world. This is going on. There's a very real enemy. Satan's going to. You guys know that? Satan is alive. He hates you. Okay? If you don't feel like you're attacked spiritually, no warfare going on, you're probably not doing much for Jesus Christ. He's probably got you right where you want you. Want you. But if you're going through it, guess what? You're probably doing what God's asking you to do. So, Satan hates the church. Also, uh, the devil means what he means for our harm, God actually uses for our good. That's one thing I do love about our Heavenly Father. And God has a purpose in Satan's plan for his people. Okay, he is the one who ultimately is in control, the first and the last, we're told. We all know Romans 8, 28. God works together for the good to those who love him and are called together or called according to his purposes. So testing's gonna come. It's a part of our lives. Really? Yeah. If you look inside your bullets, and I got a bunch of scriptures I want, want to walk through with you guys this morning. We're gonna do it quickly. I took some pictures out of my Bible, and I had this put into the bullets, and I went through these. I'm like, this would be good for us to go through. And I was hoping that you guys would do it as your homework, but then I was thinking, 
most of you probably won't take the time to sit down and actually look at these scriptures. So we're going to do it now together. So I'm going to open up my picture app. Oh, those are my lovely children throwing snowballs at me. All right. There we go. So if you guys take out your bulletin, we're going to take a walk through the New Testament here. If you have your Bible, you can open up to Matthew chapter 10. You may want to highlight some of these or not. But the first one in Matthew chapter 10, we're going to look at verse 34. It says, Do not think that I have come to bring peace on the earth. I did not come to bring peace but a sword. Why would Satan be telling us this? Wait a minute, what color are those words in, in your Bible? Oh, who's speaking? Oh, what? Jesus seeks to divide? That's not a popular message. He's come. Look at verse 35. I've come to set man against his father, daughter against his mother, and daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. Wow. We just want peace. We just want to get along with everybody. Well, Jesus said, hey, I've come. If you're one of my disciples, one of my followers, guess what? A sword will come that even brings division to your family. Show of hands, how many of you guys in here have family that can't stand that you're a Christian? Relationships been broken. Almost every single one of us. Is God's word true? Absolutely. Jesus wasn't joking about this. My best friend, elementary school, junior high, high school. I get baptized in the spirit a month before I graduate from high school. I'm stoked about Jesus. I start sharing him with all my friends and something's different now when I talk about him. People are actually listening, being convicted, starting to get saved. And he began to slander me. Best friend for years. Gossiping behind my back. Saying lies. Wanting nothing to do with me anymore. Jesus is serious about what he says. So Matthew 10, 34 and 35 say that. Looking at Mark chapter 8, verse 34, it says, When he had called the people to himself, with his disciples also, he said to them, Whoever desires to come after me, let him deny himself. Well, wait a minute, pastor. You're talking about a, a denying of self? Why don't we just love John 3.16 all the time? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. Okay? Why when we watch the Packer game tonight are we not going to see Mark 8.34 up on a board? Hey! Follow Christ! Deny yourself! It's part of the gospel, guys. We're talking about suffering here. We will suffer as believers. So my question is, is it optional for us? Well, according to God's word, we need to deny ourselves, take up our cross, and follow him. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his soul? Jesus speaking plainly here. He's being honest. 
You're going to go through it. You're going to have a cross to bear if you follow me. Well, that rubs me the wrong way <laughs> because I am an American consuming Christian. It's all about me. I get to pick what church I go to because I want that type of music and I want that type of pastor and I want, I want, I want. Do you think our persecuted brothers and Christians care about what kind of music is being played in a song or in a church? What temperature the sanctuary is? How comfortable your butts are on our comfy seats? Oh, we got a lot of verses to preach. <laughs> Let's go to Luke chapter 6. Verse 22 says, Blessed are you when men hate you. Really, my note says? <laughs> and when they exclude you, and when they revile you, and when they cast your name as evil for the Son of Man's sake. Again, it's persecution for following Christ, for His name's sake. And then it says, Rejoice in that day and leap for joy, for indeed your reward is great in heaven. What? I'm to leap for joy when I'm persecuted? Yeah, when we suffer for his namesake, guys, we should count it joy. But it hurts me. I don't like them saying those things about me. I don't like being, I want everybody to like me. I don't want to be hated. Are you guys like me? I like to be liked. I don't want to be hated by people. But according to God, this is what's going to happen. Look at the last part. It says, For in like manner the fathers did to the prophets, those who speak truth, who stand for God, they will be persecuted just like the prophets were. So if everyone likes me, there's a problem. Does everybody like you? Something's probably wrong. You're not standing for anything then. Look at John chapter 15. If the world hates you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. And if you were of the world, the world would love its own. Yet, because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. And remember that the world, or the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you. Wow. That's a promise, guys. That's a fact. Perfect love came to this planet, gave his life for the sins of many. I mean, what do you do? He loved us, told us the truth, healed many, fed the hungry. Let's kill that guy. We don't want people like that around here. Oh, and if they did it to Jesus, they're going to do it to us. Look at Acts. Do you guys catch what we're doing here? Yeah. Every book of the New Testament, 27 books. Suffering, persecution is a part of the Christian life, guys. Look in chapter uh, 5 of Acts, verse 40. And they agreed with him. And when they had called for the apostles and beaten them, they commanded that they should not speak in the name of Jesus. That's why I wrote ha-ha there. 
Like, who's going to stop the apostles from speaking to the name of Jesus? Read the whole chapter. It'll make more sense. But anyways, verse 41. So uh, they departed from the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer the shame of his name. Wow. Worthy. Saw a Christian brand out there. I know nothing about him, but they had a baseball cap that said worthy on it. You know? And I'm just kind of, oh, that's kind of cool. But then I read this scripture, and I'm like, I'm getting that hat. This is what I'm worthy of, to suffer shame for his name. I'm going to get that hat as a reminder. I'm worthy to suffer shame for the sake of Christ. We're told in Romans chapter 8, and you guys know this is my favorite chapter in the Bible, verses 16 and on. It says, well, we'll pick it up in verse 15. For you did not receive the spirit of, uh, of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, or Father. And the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then we're heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. If indeed we suffer with, if indeed, guys, we suffer with him, that we may also be glorified with him. So if you are truly born again of the Spirit of God, you're a child of God's, you will suffer with him. Well, how does that look? Do we suffer? Well, here in the West, we're not persecuted like a lot of brothers and sisters, but if we are walking with Christ, we will suffer. There's a very real enemy. Satan is legit. He hates us. There is a reality of spiritual warfare. There's seasons and times that we go through things in life and it's just like, is it just life? These things happen to other people, but it just doesn't seem to let up. Or this is ridiculous. Why now? I know what I'm asked to do. Why is this happening now? There's different things we go through. Anyways, let's look at 1 Corinthians together. I like this one in verse 19. It says, if in this life only we have hope in Christ, we of all men the most pitiable. So think about that for a second. If we claim Christ, he's my hope. He is it. He is my life. My eyes are on eternity, man. <laughs> I'm not living for the here and now any longer. The world is going to look at us and say, you are pitiable. What a joke you are to follow Christ. What a waste of time following this invisible God of yours. Why would you spend a Sunday morning going to church when you could sleep in? The world does not like us, guys. They don't get it. And then, take a look here with me later in the chapter, verse 30. And why do you stand in jeopardy every hour? Okay, this isn't talking about a game show that's on television for one hour a day. Okay, <laughs> this is talking about our lives. Okay, Moment by moment as believers, I affirm by the boasting in which I have in Christ Jesus our Lord, I die daily, daily the Apostle Paul says. And if any manner of men, I have fought with the beasts in Ephesus. What advantage is that to me? Okay, We read last week of Paul going to Ephesus. Going there, two years in Ephesus. The gospel is made known to all of Asia, we're told. But do you think Paul probably endured some persecution in order to get the gospel out to people? You betcha, guys. He wasn't sitting at home 
connected to his Wi-Fi, blogging away. He was out telling people how it was, where the people are. Let me tell you what, non-believers are not checking out my Facebook. Most of them defriend me. I'm sick of these posts about you. This is all he wants to talk about is Jesus. He's telling me I'm a sinner and I need to repent. What? That's not persecution either when they defriend you guys. That's just part of following Jesus. So, what advantage is that to me? He says, I die daily. It's a moment-by-moment thing. Something's very real. A few weeks ago, we had a shooting down in Texas at a church. This stuff is very real. Do you guys ever think about that? What if somebody came walking through that back door right now? Just hates God, and because he hates God, he hates God's people. You come in here and just start shooting us up. You guys ever think about that? Is that a possibility? Or were you guys thinking, oh, I'm going to church today. Hope it's good. Hope it's fun. We don't live in that. It might happen, could happen, and I think we're going to see more of it, to be honest with you guys. Why? Because it's Satan at work. It's just flat-out evil. Okay? I don't like to glorify or even esteem any of these whack jobs that would do something like that. But just go and look at the pictures of these mass shooters. You see Satan in their eyeballs, guys. They're messed up. It's demonic. It's just flat-out evil is what it is. Let's go to 2 Corinthians. Second Corinthians chapter 1, verse 5, it says, For as the sufferings of Christ abound in us, so our consolation also abounds through Christ. Now, if we are afflicted, it is to our consolation and salvation which is effective for the enduring or the enduring the same sufferings which we also suffer. Or if we are comforted, it is for your consolation and salvation. And our hope for you is steadfast because we know that as you are partakers of the sufferings, so also you will partake of the consolation. So this is a guaranteed thing, guys. We follow Christ, we're going to suffer. And then he tells the church of Galatia in chapter 6, verse 12, see with what large letters I have written to you with my own hand. Paul actually took the time to write the letter to the Galatians. And Galatians is such an important book that we understand as believers. If you don't know it, study it. It's going to safeguard from a lot of junk teaching that is out there today. But verse 12 says, As many as desire to make a good showing in the flesh, these would compel you to be circumcised, only that they may not suffer persecution for the cross of Christ. People love the law, guys. Just follow us. Just do these things. Then we're good to go. And we'll be left alone. We'll just stick to ourselves. You guys ever have a Jew come? I mean, they're the circumcision, right? We have the circumcision of the heart. But they're God's people. Have you guys ever had a Jew come and share with you their faith that you should believe upon the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob? And why? Never. Why don't they evangelize? Why do we want the law? Well, it's just us. We're the ones who keep the law. We're all good. We don't need to share with anybody. 
But when we walk with Jesus, when we pick up our cross and follow him, what is he calling us to? I want you to go into this world, preach that gospel, make disciples. Whoa, that means persecution. Can't we just sit in our four walls and gather together and do our own thing? And just leave everyone else alone? That's not what God's called us to. Look at Ephesians chapter 6. You guys are familiar with the armor of God. It tells us, verse 11, put on the whole armor of God. Why are we told to do this as believers? That you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. Yes, he is alive. For we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against rulers of darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. What? That's why we pray, guys. And let me tell you what, as we go out to share the gospel, I hope we're on our knees before we go. I hope we're praying and recognizing that this is a spiritual battle going on over the souls of men. There's a spiritual battle taking place. And I think we can get gung-ho and we can get activated about our stuff and get out there. But unless we're prayed up and recognizing what's really going on, we're not fighting against one another. There's a spiritual thing going on. And because of it, there's going to be warfare. And that's part of persecution. We're going to go through it. And then to the church in Philippi, you guys will understand the Apostle Paul was in jail when he wrote this letter, right? It's a book about joy. The joy we have as believers. But he says here to us in chapter 1, verse 29, for to you it has been granted on behalf of Christ not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for his sake. Wow. Paul is in prison writing this. Man, it's not just about being saved. We're going to suffer too. Let your joy be full, right? And it should be a joyous thing when we fall into trials, when we are persecuted. Colossians. Chapter 1, verse 24. I love the subtitle here, the heading. It says, Sacrificial Service for Christ. I now rejoice in my sufferings for you, and I fill up in my flesh what is lacking in the afflictions of Christ for the sake of his body, which is the church of which I became a minister according to the stewardship God which was given to me for you to fulfill the word of God. So he was faithful to proclaim, to preach the whole counsel of God. But what is he finding himself doing? Rejoicing in the sufferings that come as a part of it. Man, you want to follow Christ? You want to preach his word? You're going to go through it, guys. Okay? In the body. <laughs> the whole church. And then, to the church that was in Thessalonica, verse uh, 4 of chapter 3. It says, for in fact, we told you before when we were with you that we would suffer tri tribulation. It's going to happen, guys, just as it happened. And you know it's going to happen. And you know it. A regular part of a worship gathering service for our brothers and sisters and much of the Eastern world which much are persecuted, they have a time in their service where they name the brothers and sisters who had given their life for Christ, who had been persecuted. Thousands 
put to death. Do we know their names? Do we know who they are? Do we remember them? We should. It's something I wish the church would do a better job of. What is going on? Why are we so disconnected? If we're all one body, why are we so disconnected from the persecuted church? Why are some of us this morning having a hard time with this message? Why can't I relate to persecution, to suffering in this way? Because we do everything not to suffer. We don't want to go through it. And if we don't go through it, we'll even throw ourselves a pity party to make it, you know, bad, but not really bad. Just bad enough to get sympathy. Just bad enough not to really have to deal with the gospel. I know some people mighty in the Lord. They're totally on the shelf today because they don't want to go through it any longer. It was just too hard. Too much of a sacrifice. I pastored for years. Now it's my time to retire. So, we read in 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 5, and look at verse 4, that we ourselves boast of you among the churches, of God for your patience and your faith for all your persecutions and tribulations that you endure, which is manifest evidence of the righteous judgment of God that you may be or may be counted worthy, hey there again, worthy of the kingdom of God for you also suffer. Wow. We will suffer. First Timothy, young Timothy, Paul writes to him about fighting the good fight. This charge I commit to you, son Timothy, according to the prophecies previously made concerning you, that by them that you may wage a good warfare, having faith and a good conscience. Okay? So it's one of those things, we are in a war, we fight in the good fight. No, I've kind of given up. To fight good, that takes energy. You guys ever watch a boxing match? Okay? It's normally the one that ends up getting exhausted. I've just given up. And that's why we say so often, hey, they need to have a heart of a fighter to really win. Are they going to fight the good fight to the end? Are they not going to give up no matter how tired they may be? And that's where the Apostle Paul encourages young Timothy, don't give up. Wage a good warfare. Keep the faith. Second Timothy, I love Second Timothy. All right, um, chapter 1, verse 8. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share with me in the sufferings of the gospel according to the power of God, who has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works. Okay? This is a holy calling. God has called us to be set apart. Do you guys engage this calling? Are you okay with this calling? I've embraced it. I'm okay with persecution. No one likes it. But I'm even willing to lay down my life. I've already worked through those things in my heart with the Lord. And that was years ago. Am I still in that place? Yeah. But it's good to wrestle through these things. What do you want, God? When I pray... And when I pray with my family and we honestly ask you to have us where you want us to be, 
even if that meant going to Iran to be a missionary among these Islamic people that hate Christians, <laughs> it may mean certain death. Are we really meaning what we pray when we say, Lord, send us wherever you want us to go. That's where we want to be. I'm really open. I hope we're all really open. God, what do you want? I want a good life here. I'm looking forward to a nicer car, nicer house. Looking forward to getting the kids out of the house finally. I mean, what are you looking forward to? Or you look into the Lord, what do you want? Also, I love 2 Timothy uh, chapter 2, uh, verse 4. No one engaged in warfare, or actually, the first part says, must endure hardships as a soldier of Jesus Christ. You must do it. No one entangles warfare, entangles himself in the affairs of this life, that he may please the one who enlisted him. Do you desire to please your heavenly Father? What do you want, God? Where are you taking me? And then, if you look at chapter 3 in Timothy, I don't have this in the bulletin, I forgot to write it down, but if you look at verse 12, Yes, and all who desire to live godly shall, uh, or in Christ Jesus shall or will, suffer persecution. Okay? Does anybody in here have one of those little promise books? Promises from the Bible, scripture books. Any of you guys have those? A few of you guys. Any of them have this scripture in those little books? It's a promise, isn't it? But why isn't that in our little promise books? What? If I'm going to live godly, I will suffer persecution. That's a promise from God. Are you living godly? Are you suffering persecution? And then in chapter 4, verse 4, it says, And they will turn their ears away from the truth, and they'll be turned aside to fables. Aren't you guys glad we're not living in the last days and this isn't happening? Oh, this is happening big time, guys. All over the place. Seriously, go to a few websites of churches here in the valley after church today. Push play on their sermons. What did they preach today? I'm finding more and more in the church we're hearing sermons about being comfortable. If you want a good life, if you want your money to work for you, if you want a happy marriage, I'm going to tell you this morning how to do it. Is that just me? If I just unlucky by happening to stumble upon these type of sermons all the time? Or is it really what's coming from our pulpits today? It's all about, uh, I don't hear sermons like this, guys. And I'm not picking and choosing. This is in every book of the New Testament. It's all over. But I don't like it. It's truth. It's going to set us free. And why aren't more people set free? Because I know if I do go and I share and make disciples, I'm going to be persecuted. Why aren't more people getting saved, guys? It's because we want to be comfortable. Why is the church dying in America? Because we want to be comfortable. We don't want to man up and take God at his word and take it seriously. Look at Titus with me. Chapter 1. For there are many insubordinate, both idle talkers, deceivers, especially those of the circumcision, whose mouths must be stopped, who subvert or they shame whole households, 
teaching things they ought not for the sake of dishonest gain. Wow. We're willing to shame and to lie against the church of Jesus Christ. A whole lot of that going on. You guys know that our country doesn't even know what to do with us as believers in Jesus? I've seen <laughs> several different times. We're okay with what they think in this group, and this group says this. And then we have those born-againers or these far-right evangelicals, and they just go off on how ridiculous we are. How can we say or how can we say that women shouldn't have a choice? Because we say a baby should have a choice also. God says that's a life. We say that's a life. How ridiculous and stupid and narrow-minded are we to think that way and to say that, that a woman shouldn't murder her baby? Or am I the only one happening to catch those things on the news? Philemon 13 Paul writing here, he says, in my chains for the gospel. <laughs> He's there. Why is he in prison? Why is he being persecuted? Why is he suffering? It's because of the gospel, guys. It's for the gospel. Tuesday night, I got to hang out with 16 men up in our county jail. Not one of them was up there because of the gospel. I think there will be a day in this country that like many parts of the world, if we went into their jails, we would probably find people there who are Christians and they were in prison because they were a Christian. And I think a day is coming that we will find ourselves in prison because of the gospel. It's coming. If we preach the word of God, a lot of people look at it as hate speech. And they're not willing to humble themselves before their creator. And I don't know about you guys, but God of the Bible is a God of love. And when he tells us things, he does it out of love. When he lays down laws, he does it out of love. Man, you're not to shack up with a gal, with a guy before you're married. Oh, I don't like the Bible says that. Why does God tell, I need to figure out if we're compatible first. We need to live together and work this out, see if we should get married or not. You guys know that people who live together before they're married are 85% more likely to divorce? Wow, I don't know about you guys, but I hate seeing people get divorced. It wrecks families, ruins kids. And we look at God, man, why is God so mean? Why would he tell us not to enjoy each other if we love each other? No, his ways are just better than ours. He knows best. We submit to that. God created a man and female for a reason. Homosexuality is a sin. Scriptures are very clear on that. Well, that's narrow-minded. That's not very loving. We should be accepting of all. I don't know what the statistic is, but it's very high. Those who choose to live a homosexual lifestyle are much more likely to commit suicide. Much more likely to catch a deadly disease. 
God, how could you say that's wrong? I just, he loves us and wants to protect us. But it's the way I am. We'll be born again. God's made a way. I could go on and on. But do you guys get the point? So, <laughs> let's go on to Hebrews. This is my favorite one out of all the ones we're sharing this morning. Verse 12 of Hebrews chapter 13 tells us, Therefore Jesus also, that he might sanctify the people with his own blood, suffered outside of the gate. Therefore let us go forth to him outside of the camp, bearing his reproach. For we have no continuing city, but we seek the one to come. Therefore, by him, let us continually offer, offer the sacrifice of praise. Man, Jesus, you're unworthy. We hate you. We want you dead. We're going to crucify you, and it ain't going to happen in the city. We're taking you out of here. That's what they did to our Lord. Man, and if this city doesn't want us, let's go to him. Do you guys get that? I want to be where he is. And if it's a place of shame, of being an outcast, are you guys okay with that? I am. The world doesn't need to like me. Why? Because I don't care so much what they think. I care a lot more about what my Heavenly Father thinks. I care about pleasing him more than I care about pleasing this world. Do you guys see why I like this verse so much? That's what it's speaking to. And then James. That's not James, that's Peter. Let me go to James real quick. You guys can jot it down. Oh, it's actually in the bulletin. John, or John, uh, James chapter 5, verse 10. Listen carefully. My brethren, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord as an example of suffering Impatience, indeed, we count them blessed who endure. You have heard of the perseverance of Job, seen or seen the end intent by the Lord, that the Lord is very compassionate and merciful. So he even brings up Old Testament examples. Do you guys ever think about Jeremiah, Ezekiel, these men who proclaim the truth of God? Were they liked? Not at all. And I love that James brings up these Old Testament, you're going to suffer. And then we read here in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 19, For this is commendable, if because of conscience toward God, one endures grief, suffering wrongfully. For what credit is it if when we are beaten for, or are beaten for your faults, you take it patiently? But when you do good and suffer, if you take it patiently, it is commended before God. Okay, so we're going to suffer. And also in chapter 4, Beloved, do not think it a strange thing concerning the fiery, or the fiery trial, uh, which is to try you as though some strange thing came upon you. But rejoice to the extent that you are partaker with Christ's sufferings. And when his glory is revealed, you also be glad with exceeding joy. If you are reproached for the name of Christ, blessed are you. Okay? It's going to happen, and you're blessed when it does. And then in 2 Peter, he writes in verse uh, 3, By covetousness they will exploit you with deceptive words or false words. 
For a long time, their judgment has not been idle, and their destruction does not slumber. People are going to speak more and more ill of us. Okay? Just proclaiming the truth. To be honest with you guys, I know a few pastor, and I'll call them friends, pastor friends, that would not agree with how I'm preaching the word of God today. This isn't, this isn't what your people need. They need encouragement and to be loved. I don't know about you guys, but I feel loved and encouraged when I look to these type of scriptures. Man, Christ, you were willing to lay down your life for me? How can I not want to do the same for you? You love me so much and I get to be in eternity with you? And you've called us to shine as light because you want none to perish? You desire others to have relationship like I have relationship with you? To be forgiven of sins? Man, count me in. Sign me up. Draft me today. Let's go. 1 John chapter 3, 16. I love John 3, 16, but 1 John 3, 16 is really good. Check this out. But this, we, we know love because he laid down his life for us that we also ought to lay down our lives for our brethren. But whoever has this world's goods and sees his brother in need and shuts up his heart from him, how does the love of God abide in him? So my little children, let us not love in word or in tongue, but in deed. What? Deed? That's going to be a sacrifice. I just want to tell people, be warm and be filled. I'll pray for you. What is that? God's calling me to love you. You're moving and need help? I guess I'm going to be there. I guess I'll make that sacrifice. I guess I'll make that time. You're hungry? I guess I'm going to buy double groceries this week. And let me tell you what, a family of five ain't cheap to feed. That's a lot of extra cash. Yeah, but that's what we do, guys. That's part of suffering for Christ. Do you understand that? There's sacrifice involved. And if you're able to sacrifice without suffering, you're not sacrificing. Bottom line. So, 2 John tells us, for many deceivers have gone out into the world who do not confess Jesus Christ. It's coming in the flesh. This is a deceiver in the Antichrist. You guys know that people are against Christ. They are Antichrist all over. Man. It's down at Lawrence University during... Oktoberfest one year. And I had a guy come running at me. And he was about 50 yards away when he saw me. He knew what I was doing. I was preaching the gospel to all the people who were out at Oktoberfest. And I'm just like, what? Is this a brother coming over to help? Nope. It was a brother who wanted to get in my face <laughs> and tell me how wrong I was about believing in Jesus. A lot of antichrists out there today. I wrote to the church, but Diophorphes, who loves to have the preeminence among them, does not receive us. Therefore I come, and I will call to mind his deeds, which he does, prating against us with malicious words. I love John. This is old Apostle John, the only apostle who's still alive, and he writes to the church. Hey, when I show up, I'm going to tell this guy how it is. <laughs> you know? I love that, and there's place for that. But there are going to be those people out there who are going to come, and they're going to slander us, guys. 
They're going to gossip about us. They're going to tell lies about us. I don't know if you guys have gotten those phone calls. I've got my fair share. Did you really say? And a lot of times, no. Not at all. Totally don't think that. So untrue. And there's been a few times that's absolutely what I said. How could you? I am so offended. Well, you're not offended at me. You're offended at God. Can we talk and reason about this? So, Jude, verse 8, Likewise, also these dreamers will defile the flesh, reject authority, and speak evil of dignitary. Or you have me have a translation that says the glorious ones. Okay? These people have dreams. And I've seen this firsthand in the valley. Prophetess have dreams, and I'm going to speak against God's children, the glorious ones. You know, what do they do, guys? They're not willing to come under authority of anybody. They're hopping from this church to that church. They're just full of themselves. I had a dream from God, and no one wants to listen here. I'm going to the next church, the next church. I'm going to tell everybody and speak ill of everybody. Man, that's just evil. And then we read of our church in Smyrna. Revelation, guys, chapter 2, verse 10. And do not fear any of those things which you are about to suffer. Indeed, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison that you may be tested and that you will have tribulation 10 days, but be faithful unto death and I will give you the crown of life. Hope you guys are encouraged this morning just by the word. I actually have over 10 pages of notes of a really good study on Smyrna this morning. But I just felt that looking at God's word of what it looks like. for Because per- I could talk to you guys all day. Why we're not being persecuted. Things we could do to make sure we are getting persecuted as believers. But when I just sit down, I was so blessed reading through his word this week and seeing how much the scriptures speak to suffering for Christ's sake. And I found great encouragement in it. And I hope you guys did this morning too as we considered these passages. And I want to close with this thought this morning. We're going to close our time partaking in communion together. So I don't think there's a better way than taking in this and then together looking to Jesus and remembering his life that was broken for us. That's how we ought to live, guys. Our lives should be broken for him, for his glory. That comes as suffering, as persecution. And the question, ought we be persecuted as Christians? I see a biblical mandate to it. And if we're not, I'm asking you guys to get on your knees before God, to seek Him, to go back through these scriptures, visit other passages of scriptures. What does that look like? When we are blessed, when they persecute us revile us, say all types of evil against us. It's not because we're being mean. It's because we're speaking the truth and love to this world that desperately needs the truth, guys. That's what we do. So, Luke and Lance, would you guys mind start passing out the communion elements? And I have a thought I want to conclude with as we partake together. And the only thing here at Freedom we ask when it comes to the Lord's table, partaking of communion together, is that you are a born-again believer that you have put your faith in Jesus Christ, in Him alone.
And why I say him alone is I want to go back to the little pinch of incense. Do we? I'm willing to sacrifice, compromise, just a little pinch. It's nothing. I will say this to you guys. I am convinced that this little pinch is the reason why we are not persecuted here in the United States, in the American church. Because, hey, we're just willing to go along with it. We'll, we'll, we'll compromise just a little bit right here. As long as we're still able to do this, study our Bible, sing songs together, go to church, I'm all good. And that might look different for each and every one of us right now. But in the days to come, if something changes... If we have to sign a piece of paper saying our allegiance to this political party or land for whatever freedoms we want to enjoy, are we willing to give in a false allegiance to something other than Jesus Christ? I hope not. Just a pinch at the altar, a pinch of compromise. All right, they're still passing out. I'm going to preach for another minute then. Actually, you guys can jot down 2 Corinthians chapter 4 into chapter 5. Read that later today. Beautiful passage that comes around what we've been talking about this morning together. We do go through a momentary light affliction in this life, but it's a short time. You guys understand that? And I think we don't have eternity in mind. How can our brothers and sisters joyfully go through persecution. Hey, I'm okay with it. I've read many letters from brothers and sisters who are in prison or actually are at the threat of certain death. And none of these letters have ever asked, hey, would you pray that God would take this away? That he would make things easier? That we could just be comfortable Do you know what they pray or ask prayer for? Would you pray that God gives us more boldness? We know we're being persecuted, but we want more boldness to speak the name of Christ. Even if it means certain death. And you know why they're able to ask those type of prayers? Because their mind is not on the temporal, on this life that's but a vapor. They know they're just passing through. Their eyes are on eternity. Their eyes are on Jesus. And when your eyes are fixed upon Jesus, guys, you're going to say, worthy is the Lamb. And I've been bought with a great price. My life is no longer my own. I'm going to follow my Savior. I'm going to follow Jesus. Even if that means certain death, guys. Thanks, bro. So there's a crown of glory laid up. I don't know which part of my notes that was in, but there's one last point I want to pull out from the church in Smyrna. Last week we looked at the uh, church there in Ephesus, okay, the loveless church. They had left their first love. And what did God call them to? Repent. You guys remember that? You guys need to repent. What is he asking the church in Smyrna? 
not to repent. I want you guys to be faithful. To be faithful. And I am very intrigued. And you guys have been reading the seven letters, and I hope you're reading them over and over again. But did you guys notice the only two churches that Jesus had nothing bad to say about are the two churches that were being persecuted? Would persecution be a good thing for the American church? So Father, as we conclude our time together this morning, we're thankful for your word. We are thankful that you were willing to lay down your life to go through that type of persecution because you loved us. Because you were on a mission, Lord, to save many. Thank you so much. And we want to be on that same mission. And we're thankful that when we come to your table, Lord, we come together in a common faith. And that faith is you, Jesus. We look to you. We follow you. No matter where that leads. And even if it means the end of life here on this planet, that means life with you in heaven just begins. We look forward to that. But until then, we're going to remember. We're going to remember your body that was broken for us and the blood that you shed upon the cross for the remission of our sins. So this morning, we do it with thanksgiving in our heart, remembering you. So let's partake of the bread and the cup together, guys. There's a man by the name of Polycarp who was a bishop for the church there in Smyrna about 1,800 years ago. He's known as one of the church fathers. Some of you may have read some of his writings. But I want you guys to hear what he said because he was actually martyred for his faith. He was faithfully preaching the gospel there in Smyrna. He was respected in the city as a church father. He had a place in the community. But the government came down on him. He wasn't willing to make the pinch. And I love what he said at the end of his life. Catch what he said. He said, 80 and 6 years have I served him. And he never did me wrong. How can I now blaspheme my king? who has loved me so. And they took him, bound his hands together. They would normally tie a person completely to a stake before they would burn him. And he told them, I'm not going anywhere. You can trust me. They just bound his hands. And as they lit the fire, a great wind came up and the fire engulfed around him. He wasn't being burnt. And enraged, one of the soldiers ran up there with the spear and took his life. 
I don't know how we're going to go, but I would love to have one of those type of testimonies for all time in heaven. Hey, how'd you die on earth? Too much pizza. Got the best of me. Big heart attack. Or, hey, I was tied to a stake. And they tried to burn me and they couldn't do it. So they had to spear me. Wouldn't that be better? <laughs> hey, I heard you went to church. What did your pastor preach this week? So, Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for my brothers and sisters here. And more than anything, God, we do give thanks for all that you have done, for the blessings that we have been given, even the freedoms we do have in this land, God. I think many of us have reaped the benefits of them. We've been able to have access to the gospel. We can go and hear your word freely, Lord. We can even download it off the, the internet and be fed all week long. Lord, we have Bibles everywhere we turn, still the best-selling book. But we're so thankful, Lord, that you have a plan, that you're doing a work, that you are saving people today. Lord, we don't know how long things will be like this in the States. We see us uh, just turning, rebelling against you. We are so sorry for that. We pray that you would forgive us and come and revive us. We know you're a big God and you could do a great move here in America. But we stop being our own gods and thinking we know best and just submit to you because we know you're right. We pray for those brothers and sisters of ours who are persecuted this day. Father, or will be persecuted uh, soon, God, that you would supernaturally strengthen them, God, and give them wisdom how to speak and how to shine for you. We do thank you for the revivals that are going around all over the world, for the many Muslims that are getting saved, the Hindus in India, many are coming to faith. You are a good and faithful God. And when we pray, too, just here in our own backyard, that we would be bold with the gospel, that we would share well. We ask this in your name. Amen? Amen. Awesome.